0: You're listening to Slice of Cheese with Jenny Linford on Food FM. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.
1: Hello. Welcome to A Slice of Cheese, the Food FM radio series that celebrates the world of cheese. I'm Jenny Linford, a food writer and cheese enthusiast, the author of Great British Cheeses. Cheese is a delicious and fascinating food, and we're setting out to explore this remarkable food, and share the stories of the people who make, sell, and love it. For this programme, we're looking at a very famous French cheese, brie. You know, a cheese that is now very familiar, but actually has a long and fascinating history. We're going to be talking about the history of the cheese with Patrick McGuigan, who is a great cheese expert and has written a wonderful book called The Philosophy of Cheese. We'll also be talking to... Patricia Michelson of La Fromagerie. La Fromagerie is famous for the quality of its cheeses and known for the quality of its French cheeses. Patricia sort of fell in love with the French cheeses and started bringing them back to to Britain and selling them. You know, initially at a, I think, to friends, and then it sort of grew into this very wonderful food business in in London. You know, brie isn't just made in France. Brie de Meaux is made in France, but other brie's are made. And we're going to be talking to Johnny Crickmore of Fen Farm Dairy. He's a really wonderful sort of young British cheesemaker. And he's making a, a British version of brie from using raw milk from his own cows. It's called Baron by God. It's a really wonderful cheese, actually. So Johnny is our third guest on the programme today. So I hope you enjoy
0: it. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers.
1: Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, Petersyard.com,
0: and specialist food retailers.
1: Hi, Pat. It's really lovely to have you on the programme. And I was really interested, I've, I've got your fascinating book, The Philosophy of Cheese, which is such a clever piece of writing, I think, because it takes you sort of through the story of cheese through different cheeses and I was struck that Brie has got a sort of fascinating history tell us I mean it's such a you know it's, it's such a famous French cheese but also obviously it's got a lot of history to it tell us about some of the stories
0: yeah well Brie's um, uh, it, it does have a long history I mean the more you dig into cheese history the more you find that the the stories and the myths and the legends um, it's very hard to find actual evidence of, of, <laughs> yes, of these myths and legends, um, which is fine. I spent a lot of time in the British Library, um, who they're the publishers of the book, um, researching cheese and looking through old manuscripts and so on. And there's quite—I mean, Brie de Meaux. You know, there is there is, a, there is a, a region just sort of east of Paris where Brie historically comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there, there are, there are sort of what people think are references to it from sort of the 9th century, mm. but then uh, cheese historians fall out about whether actually this is a reference to brie or is it possibly a reference to Roquefort? But certainly, cause it's,
1: so, it's so vague, is it? It's just it just. Could it's, well, be, they it's talk about
0: yeah. yes, they talk about sort of mouldy cheese, and of course the the cheesemakers of Roquefort four said well, they're obviously they're obviously <laughs> talking that. about Roquefort. yeah, and and the the, the cheesemakers of of the Brie region say, well, no, no, this is a sign of, um, uh, th- 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 that, um, Charlemagne, uh, Emperor Charlemagne was, was talking about, uh, Brie, but there's a story where Charlemagne is on a, on a, uh, he's on a trip and it, he stops, um, at, a, an Abbey, um, and, uh, the Bishop serves him a delicious cheese. And initially Charlemagne uh, is going to cut away the, the mold, uh, from the cheese. And the bishop says, no, no, you must eat the mould. This is all part of the, the experience. Uh, so Charlemagne promptly uh, tries the mould with the cheese and loves it so much, he orders two cartloads of it to be delivered uh-huh. to his palace. Um, so, but it is probably referencing Brie, that story. Or um, for. <laughs> but I think when you look at it and I sort of, you read, it depends how you translate mold <laughs> mm. and, w- and whether they're talking on the on the outside of the cheese or the inside of the cheese, not quite sure um when you read this sort of ninth century biography of um charlemagne um but what you can say with this style of cheese where you've got this sort of white mold growing on on the outside is, is it probably is these kind of brie style cheeses are probably linked to the the middle ages and particularly to, to monasteries and abbeys they became kind of centres of uh, cheese making and cheese knowledge Mm. after the fall of the Roman Empire you have um, monasteries and and, and monks who were making cheese Um, and they would often store the cheese in their cellars uh, which are cold uh, and damp and and, and the perfect environment for growing mouldy cheese Um, so probably these sort of mould ripened cheeses like brie uh, started to you know be developed around this this period so uh, you know anywhere from sort of the fifth century forward really gosh um, mm. yeah so um yeah so that's I mean you know breedamo Mo has a kind of long history there, there's some more you're on more uh sure footing in terms of um its history where um uh, where you uh, sort of talk about Napoleon and the Congress of Vienna in 1815, where Napoleon had actually had sort of lost essentially, and 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 basically Europe was being reorganized um, after the Divided defeat of Napoleon. Dividing by the power, up, yeah. So after the defeat of Napoleon, there was the Congress of Vienna, which is basically a big summit where European diplomat diplomats got together and um, uh, tried to reorganise Europe, um, and Talleyrand, who used to be the right-hand man of uh, of Napoleon, um, had now, by this point, rather cleverly switched to the newly restored French monarchy and was sort of their PR guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, you know, the, France had been had lost essentially after during the Napoleonic Wars, but Talleyrand had a bit of a sort of PR coup, uh, where during this Congress um, he sort of organised. I suppose you could argue it's the first ever global cheese contest um, where he, the diplomats brought their own cheeses. Uh, so there was Stilton from England and Emmental from mm-hmm. Switzerland, Edam from Holland. And of course, Talleyrand brought in Brie de Meaux. Um, uh, and and they, they all tasted it. I think there were 52 diplomats tasted all the different cheeses. And they all agreed, or most of them agreed, that the French cheese was the best. So. Gosh. Although France had lost uh, lost the war, they won the the cheese war in in the Congress afterwards, and and, and Brie de Meaux was, king, you know, anointed king of cheeses. Um, I think Talleyrand did a bit of a was a bit of a PR coup for him and and for France. But,
1: um, yeah, that's a good story. Um, so fascinating, isn't it? And and so, I mean, Brie. It's interesting because it? it's a cheese that you, you know, it's, it's it. it So brie de meau, obviously it's made, it's legally protected and it has to be made in that, in a set region, hasn't it, in a set way. But brie, the cheese, is is more widely produced, isn't it? I think lots of, you know, I see brie, you know, quite widely in supermarkets and...
0: Yeah, that's what, I mean, so brie de meau is, you know, it must be made in that region, it must be made with raw milk, um, so that's specified uh, with a, a protected designation of origin, so a PDO for the cheese. But you're right. The, the the name brie itself is not protected, so you see all you know you can make brie anywhere, uh, and it is you know it's it's such a popular cheese that you know there's Somerset brie and um, brie's made in uh, Scotland, um, you know all over Europe, um, and so they don't have the same uh, rules in place about how the cheese is made, um, beyond what people think of as being a brie, but what it's quite an interesting cheese so if you try breedmo you know the original raw milk type uh, over time it will it will the the, the the mold on the outside which is a mold called penicillium candidum will sort of break the paste of the cheese down underneath so it will you know, these cheeses mature from the outside in and become mm-hmm. progressively gooier and and a good breedmo will get to the point where it's bulging and 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 you know really broken down and you get these beautiful Mm -hmm. um uh sort of complex flavors of sort of mushrooms and uh uh, sometimes like sort of vegetal notes particularly Mm -hmm. um sort of cabbagey notes some sort of brassica aromas garlic even a bit sort of truffle as well with more mass-produced brees that are are not made with raw milk and and are made in a uh, i suppose for sort of supermarket um Sale, uh, they they have different techniques where they make a cheese. It's called a stabilized brie, and you'll notice with a, a lot of the sort of the cheaper mass-produced bries that they never really down. They never really ripen, uh, which is great. Food markets who have long supply chains and um, you know they want long shelf lives, and and they they're not serving the cheese through a cheese counter most of the time. It's just sitting on the shelf, so they don't really want cheeses that go very gooey. Um, so they've come up with techniques to sort of keep these bris sort of relatively soft, but they never go gooey and they never really give you the, the complexity of flavour and aroma that you would get with a, a sort of traditional raw milk brie.
1: It's interesting that the same name, but actually different different products. I mean, we of, you often get that in the cheese world, don't you? That, um, yes, that, you know, perhaps a, you know, a, a more craft version of a cheese um, will, will, will be very different from mass production, you know, for very good reasons, for very legitimate reasons to do with, you know, production and costs and, and how it's sold. Um, but they are just very different creatures, aren't they?
0: Yeah, it's a bit, it's it's difficult. I mean, I often think that with a lot of British cheeses, actually, you know, with, you know, the original cloth-bound cheddar versus the sort of block cheddar that um, that we all buy in, in supermarkets. And the same with our territorial cheeses like Lancashire and Cheshire and, of Philly, the original farmhouse cheeses are very different to the mass-produced factory cheeses that most people know, and I, so it's the same with Brie, you know, sort of people might think they know Brie from, if, if their experience is um, buying their cheeses in, in supermarkets, um, but actually if they get a, a really good ripe Brie de Meaux, um, it's quite a different cheese, and yet they both have the same name, you know, Brie. Yeah, um, but that's not to say. I mean, Brede is a big is a big PDO, so you know you you can buy Brie de Mo in most supermarkets. um uh, yeah. uh, and you know, but alongside it will be these more sort of generic industrial uh, breeds as well. And
1: they won't quite have the same texture and flavour. You were saying that, so a Brede made to those rules is just is offering something more, I suppose, in a way. So yeah,
0: yeah, I think they, I think you know it's a be- cheeses that are made with raw milk that are made to uh, these soft cheeses that are made to kind of go gooey and break down that what happens with that is that the mold on the outside starts to break down the proteins and the fats in the in the paste of the cheese which changes the structure but then also as that happens um they release flavor compounds and aroma compounds which make them really exciting and complex and and delicious cheeses.
1: Do you remember when you... Do you have a sort of a Brie memory? You know, did you encounter it, um, you know, as, you know, I don't know, like on holiday or, or you know, in, in a restaurant or...
0: I don't have a sort of specific, uh, uh, you know, epiphany where I suddenly <laughs> realised that um, Brie was... Um, not with Brie, I have to say, um, the Baron by-god from uh, um, Fenfarm Dairy um, in, in Suffolk really opened my eyes... Um, to sort of, actually it's about having really good milk and making cheese in a, in a sort of traditional artisan way. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be French, actually, if you're doing the right things in Britain, you can make a wonderful cheese. Mm. Um, and that's, I think that's become a real benchmark, uh, Baron God, in British cheese for, for sort of what good farming practices and what good uh, traditional craft skills can achieve.
1: They, yeah, it would be really interesting. I mean, I certainly heard people in the cheese world say that, you know, what Johnny is making is, is, at, in a way, is better than many of the of the bris produced in France. Or perhaps closer, you know, in in spirit, you know, in being a raw milk farmhouse brie, than the way a lot of brie is being made now um, in France. So, brie de mode. So, that's really interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah. The, I, as, as as far as I understand it, and, I, you know, I may be wrong, There might, there, there may be a farm that is doing this, but... Most of the Bride de Meaux, the, the the PDO cheeses, are made with milk from, you know, more than one farm. So I don't think there are any farmhouse Brie de Meaux makers. And by that, I mean, you know, on a farm, using milk from their own herd, not mixing it with others. I think Bride de has, yeah. has got bigger than that.
1: I think you're right. I mean, it is interesting, isn't it? Because this is a very famous cheese. And I think one of the charms of it, in a way, is is that mix of textures it offers, you know, it has a potential to offer, doesn't it? So, I mean, it can be totally oozy and sort of voluptuous, but you can get it, which I used to like, with that little, you know, where you have the contrast of texture. so you have the, the firmer piece in the middle that hasn't yet been worked on, and that sort of soft, you know, the softness under the rind, and then a little bit that's got a little different texture, a bit of different flavour. You know, it's one of those charms of cheese, isn't it, that there's the flavour of the rind, there's the flavour just below the rind, there's the flavour inside, you know, when you have an interesting piece of of brie it is a real um yes, yeah, just a real i don't know journey sounds a little bit pretentious but that's sort of what i mean You've, there's a lot going on basically
0: yeah, yeah well I'm, I'm glad you said that jenny because i'm a great believer in still having a bit of a chalky heart uh i quite like a little bit of chalk in the middle mm. of my my soft jesus whether that's camembert or, or brie because i'm with you i quite like that the contrast of the that that chalkiness in the middle will still be quite tart and and, and acidic you get those nice lactic uh, slightly uh, acidic flavours in the middle but then all of the you know sort of gooey cabbagey garlicky notes from the the breakdown uh, that which is the, the technical term for the gooey bit under the rind um i quite like that contrast and also there's quite a nice contrast in textures as well as as well as flavours um yeah
1: I mean, I think it is. Yeah, I think visually. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's just full of pictures of of oozy brie because it, you know, it obviously signals voluptuousness. But actually, I think yeah, having having both, you know, have have that lovely ooziness, but also have something a little bit firmer in the middle. Um, I mean, it's that interesting thing of, of if you want to experience a cheese, you know, a really good place to go and try, try you know, to, is to buy it from a cheesemonger to buy it, or buy it from a shop that that specialises in sending cheese, you know, a delicatessen or, or, you know, a food hall or a, or, or, you know, a cheesemonger, because that's going to be a really good, um, if they're good, you know, what you're going to get is a really good example of that cheese.
0: Uh, absolutely. I mean I, I mean, I think that's true of all cheese, but I think it's especially true of these softer varieties, which are actually quite hard to uh, to keep on top of as a cheesemonger. You know, they need care and attention. Um to make sure they're in the, uh, that sort of you know that lovely sort of window of ripeness is when you want mm-hmm. to buy it um, and and that is where you need someone keeping an eye on them turning the cheeses um you know moving them to perhaps a, a slightly colder part of the fridge if they want to slow the um uh, the maturation down or moving it to a slightly warmer part of the fridge if they want to speed it up Asking you as the customer, when are you going to eat this cheese, mm. you know, so if that's a you good know, if,
1: question, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I
0: mean, and, and actually I, I always I, I love that if I go into a a, a Delicatessen or a, a really good cheese shop and I say, oh, you know, I'd like to buy some brie if they say to me Well, when are you eating it? I say, well, actually, I'm not I'm not having it till Saturday night, you know, and it's on a Monday A good cheese monger will say, well, this one's on the point, but we've got one That's still a bit chalky, but should be lovely by Saturday night, you know, or they might say this cheese would be perfect for tonight. By Saturday, it might have gone over a little bit. Why don't you try this? It needs that sort of expertise and, and care and attention, which, again, not to bash the supermarkets too much, because, I mean, you know, we all shop in them, but it, it's difficult for them to to these kind of high-maintenance, diva-style mm. diva, yeah. diva style cheeses. <laughs> um, it's hard, hard for them to, to look after them in the same way.
1: Um, I mean, it's a very good point. It's, you know, what are you good at? So you might get a fantastic offering, you know, you know, an extraordinary range, actually, of ingredients in a very accessible way. But, you know, but then they're not set up for, as you say, it's care and attention that's required. And you really hear that when you talk to cheesemakers, you know, about them, how they're making their cheese. Or, you know, then you hear about the time and the care. And then when you talk to cheesemongers, again, and people who are, you know, ripening the cheese. I and mean, Patricia from La Fromagerie was just describing how she... She does finish off the, you know, the, the affinage herself, a la fromagerie. We never really see this sort of behind-the-scenes care and attention that cheese requires. I um, mean, it, it does, it, you know, it, I think it does give you give an insight into why good cheese does, you know, it does cost some money, because actually there is a lot of, it has taken a lot of time and care and attention.
0: Yeah, I mean, the danger with these, you know, with, with Brie's and, and these kind of softer, shorter shelf-life cheeses, is you end up with a lot of wastage. Um, you know Mm. good cheesemongers don't because they're 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 on it they're you know checking their cheeses and 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 selling them when they need to be sold but um you know it does add add costs the the other the other thing that is is that people often it's sort of what's the difference between brie and camembert because camembert is the other famous sort of french mold ripened cheese um and and the story go historically the story goes that um uh, Camembert was the recipe for Camembert was passed on to a, um, a, 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 a farmer's daughter in Normandy by a, um, a cheesemaker who was uh, fleeing the terror. So it was it was actually a, a, a priest who was fleeing the terror from mm. uh, near Paris um, and, and was hidden by um, this farmer's daughter. And, and he passed on the recipe again when you do the research on it there's absolutely there's very little evidence of that but it's good the whole it's a to... good story yeah yeah normandy normandy has done very well it's sort of um, you know promoting that myth and and camembert yeah. has kind of uh, sort of grown on the back of it but camemberts tend to be smaller um, and you know they come in the wooden box which was a great sort of marketing uh, uh, stroke of genius um because they could put brilliant pictures on the outside and um, mm. sort of have branding for their cheeses. And bris tend to be bigger and, and, and sort of uh, not as thick. So you typically a brie is sort of three kilos, um, a cutting brie is sort of three kilos and, and sort of thinner than a, a camembert, which is smaller and thicker. And, and the different shapes of the cheeses mean you get slight, the way the cheeses mature and break down are slightly different. Um, so a great cheesemonger friend of mine, Andy Swinsco at the Courtyard Dairy, um, he sort of characterises brie as being the sort of the gentleman cheese and the, uh, and the camembert being more of a kind of farmer's cheese. And oh. so you get more, more elegant flavours in brie, which are more on that sort of mushroom uh, and perhaps uh, some sort of garlic and truffle notes, mm-hmm. whilst camembert is a bit more rustic, a bit punchier, a bit more of those vegetable notes.
2: Cabbagy, um, I'm
0: thinking, actually. Bit, yeah, cabbage and and, you know, uh, a bit more bracing, and and that's partly to do with the shape of the cheese and, and how the mould uh, breaks it down.
1: Lovely, you've made me hungry, Patrick, so that's <laughs> great. Thank you so much, you're, you're brilliant. I'm a huge fan of Peter's Yard's crackers, and they go beautifully with cheese. All Peter's Yard's crackers are made in small batches, using quality natural ingredients and their sourdough starter, slowly fermented for 16 hours for award-winning flavour and crunch. Visit petersyard.com forward slash shop, enter the code SLICEOFCHEESE at the checkout to receive 25% off your first order.
3: Online, on
0: smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's,
1: Ocado, Amazon petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. Patricia, it's really lovely to have you on a slice of cheese because you've been such a great champion of of French cheeses and I suppose, you know, Brie has got to be one
2: of the iconic French cheeses. Oh, definitely. And uh, it's it's one that really got into sort of notoriety or fame um, from the time of uh, the Vienna the Congress of Vienna after, after the Napoleonic Wars, where they um, gathered together all the uh, countries of Europe and uh, you know, made pacts about um, borders. The French are really good at, at creating um, the, uh, the zones where you can make cheese. So regionality is so, so important. And, you know, in Britain, we're understanding this now. And um, so the, the Brie de Meaux it comes from the Seine-Aman area, which is east of Paris. It's about 50 kilometers east of Paris. And this zone is only where you can make Brie de Meaux. that takes in the Aube and uh, another river and it's a, it's a slightly different cheese. It's saltier and stronger and probably more like the original Brie de Meaux. Than the current Brie de mo, but um, in style. But the Brede mo is is in the same manner, and it is with um, the lovely milkers. those big milkers, um, the the Holstein milkers, that the heavy milkers that create mm-hmm. the milk. So, what's the best time to enjoy the cheese? I would say right now. Ah, oh, okay. And was, yeah. we're talking in in what? so it's a spring cheese. Right? April.
1: April. Right. Yes,
2: yep. right now because the, the the animal has to be grass fed. That's one of the um, the rules. Right. In the winter, they're still out on grass, but it's not so lush, so they get extra feeds such as hay and legumes that are grown on the farm. You know, they make a little porridge for. The, uh, for the herd mm-hmm. to supplement. So that changes the style of the milk. It mm-hmm. becomes more sort of musty and sort of uh, um, farmyardy. Once they're out on pasture and it's now new pasture, they've dug in the, um, the pasture, the fields with their hooves. They've aerated the soil after the winter. They've allowed the oxygen to go back into the soil and lovely fresh grass is coming through. The farmer has seeded with um, the normal seed, but with extra things to, like clover, to come through in the summer, and other, other um, flowers and herbs, and you know, wild stuff that grows. So they're eating fresh grass, and that's going into the milk. The grass has loads of bacteria naturally. You know, they're creating bacteria anyway in their stomach. So they're creating a really fantastic milk, and it's rich Holstein. So um, after milking, the, the, the milk is kept in like a bath in a warmish room for about 18 hours to settle. Uh-huh. And during that time, they add a, um, a ferment like the previous day's milk that's, that's been made into like a little yogurty mix mm-hmm. thrown in plus the serums. Okay, so the, the bacterias, um, right, which the are... The starter culture, is that? The, or, or yes, culture, the start, culture. the cultures, yeah. which are um, Candidum, the white Candidum, and also the uh, a bit of Brevi as well. And these are the Candidum is what makes that sort of white, lovely, velvety yes. coating, is that Yes, right? yes, but that's in the milk, right at right. the very beginning, for the first 18 hours. And then after 18 hours, it goes into the next room, which is hot, 25, mm. 30 degrees, and then it's curdled, the milk is curdled, and then it is cut into like little squares and it all looks very soft and baminche-like, okay? And then after that, it's then transferred by using a flat shovel. It looks like, a, a, like a, um, something that you would pick up the coal with to put on the fire, you know, so it's got like a, a flat base. And then it is lifted up by hand. It has to because they're very delicate. The curds mm. by machine it would break them up too much. So they're ladled into them into the mould, and that's why it always looks a little bit lumpy on the top. You see this sort of ridges on the top of oh, of. That's interesting. Yes, it's because of the curds. So they just very gently left on the top, and then they um, and then left again uh, in the in the room.
1: Okay. It's draining, the curds are draining, but over their own way. They're draining, way. Yeah. they're
2: draining more of the whey. Once, when they cut the cheese at the beginning, the whey is coming away, but then when they put them into the moulds, the whey is coming away again. So 25 litres of milk goes into making the cheese at Gosh. the start. Which okay. makes okay. you
1: always realise why cheese does cost money, you know, because it's exactly. that's, a, that's a
2: whole Exactly, that's a whole cow's daily output. One, one cow. A, a Holstein that is produces tw- about 25 litres. Amazing. But once you've um, released all the way, creating around three kilos of cheese. So from that 25 litres, you're down to about five litres of pure milk. Yeah. <laughs> that takes three hours. So once they've gone into the, in, into the hotter room and they all of that's done there, and they've had the three hours of that staging of the milk. Um, and the whey releasing. Mm-hmm. They're then sorted. So they go to the next room for sorting, which is then goes down a level. So you've you've started off quite warm mm-hmm. and then gone on to hot. Then you're going down to 18 degrees where you're sorting. And what the sorting does, and which is done by hand again, because they're they're you know testing also the acidity levels in mm-hmm. the milk at the same time. The sorting stops the draining, because if you allow the draining to continue and continue, you're getting a very dry cheese at the very end, okay? That's interesting, yeah. right? So then the affinage starts. And so by
1: affinage, what, you mean, could we have that yeah. word in
2: English? Do you mean the maturing? Oh, right, the maturing or the ripening of the yeah. cheese, where you are activating the serums inside the cheese to then start um, doing their work, which they also create flavour and style and and everything else. But they are also creating outside rind. Um, That takes about four weeks, uh, which is the minimum uh, time uh, for a ripening of brie. And they're turning the cheeses very carefully. The cheeses are are kept on on racks um, where you sometimes see, especially on Brie de melon, you see the color of brownish color coming onto the the rinds. yeah, from the racks. And yeah, um, t- why are they? Why do they turn the cheeses, Patricia? Well, so that the um, the way, whatever way that is left inside the cheese doesn't just stick to the bottom, uh-huh. and you know it it's unevenly ripening. So you have right. to keep turning them to make sure that that is, and also that the moulding on the outside, the the, uh, the white moulds on the outside, are evenly distributing as well. And that that's is all care, isn't there? I mean, it's so it's, when you it's, it's very much so, and that's done in a colder room. All that ripening is done in a colder room, which is down to eight degrees. So, if you think about it, the making of a brie, you're going through really like a whole year. You start off with spring in the first room. <laughs> okay, you go into summer in that hot room. Sauna. <laughs> yeah, you go into autumn in the third room where where you you know you're finally molding them and and getting them ready for the sorting and everything else and then finally the winter comes in the cold room where you're finishing them off and ripening them okay so and at the end of it that you're having a cheese um which is ripened by the end of eight weeks seven to eight weeks it's fully matured mm. what, what do you look for in a good
1: you know, because obviously, you know, you're famous for your the quality of your cheese. that you sell, and is there a particular moment or that you like? You know, because obviously, the you can get breeds that are quite firm, or you can have them softer. What, have you got a sort of a lovely style well, that you, you look
2: for? Yes, you've got to have. Um, when when we get we get them, uh, sometimes a quarter matured, sometimes half matured, and sometimes three quarters. We try and get them in several different stages of maturity so that we can finish them off. Um, at Christmas, because we're going through so many, we have to be very, very careful um, that we don't get them too ripe um, because we've got such a vast quantity. So we um, we, have an, <laughs> we have an extra room prepared for um, the bloomy rinds, as we call them, the white candidum rinds. It's a very cold room, so we can hold them back. So I get most of the year, I get them in uh, three quarters, half to three water's matured and i finish off with well, you need the humidity because if you don't have that humidity that's when you get those dry um, dry rinds because they're very tender oh, the they're still a bit down and if you don't have the humidity plus the coolness you will get the, the rinds going dry that's why if you see them in a serve over counter in a shop where it's just very very dry air there's no mm. moist in that air they will go uh, very dry very quickly and they lose the moisture and that's when they start shrinking and you see the rinds also looking um, very very tough at the edges because they shrunk around the edges because cheese is ripened from the outside to the center not from the center to the outside okay so the first thing that happens to the cheese after it's been made happens from the outside, all the all the, the work that you do on the outside is contributing to what goes into the, the cheese into the middle. Well, that's interesting, Patricia, because
1: obviously at La Fromagerie you have, you know, your cafes and and your you know so you're using f- cheese as an ingredient. How do you, what are there ways that you enjoy cooking with cheese or um, sorry cooking with brie? Are there ways that you enjoy cooking with brie or, or well, you know
2: using it in dishes? Well, the, the people like. Uh, baking with um, the brie, don't they? It, I think it's not a great idea. Right. Um, I think that um, chefs will always add something to um, to something to make it their own. I don't particularly like, um, you know, covering them in in a in a crust or something.
1: You have wonderful wines at La Fromagerie. What would you? What style of wine do you enjoy? drinking with with a brie or, or does it I suppose it might obviously depends slightly on the, on the brie de mode what, what you know the time that you're eating it
2: i've got to pet ones it's quite funny i love having a, a, a brie de mot with a dry champagne it's absolutely delicious if you think about it the marne leads you into the champagne country so having a champagne it's not you know not such an unusual idea to have with these but also um obviously um going into bordeaux I do I do like, you know, the classic Beaujolais with, with a brie, makes sense so a Gamay is a lovely wine to have with it. You can have white wines as well, I've had white wines even, uh, you know, going so far as having rather a fancy Poulini, Poulini, um with a, a brie de Maux very successfully, so you could try a Chardonnay, not a Sauvignon, but a Chardonnay with a, with a, a brie de m'eau as well but nothing too strong, nothing too tannic to take away from, because it is a, funnily enough, it is a delicate cheese and you want to taste different layers of taste. And I always say that, you know, take, take in the cheese, don't just spread it, never spread a brie because you're losing everything. Place on top of a piece of bread or, or a biscuit so you get the layers of flavor, because it is, it is layers. You know, it's scooped up into into lovely little sort of lumpy curds that are layered one on top of the other into the mould. So there are layers in in there already. That's the one.
1: Yes, how interesting. That's lovely. It's just sort of a respect, isn't it? I mean, in a way, you know, you've, you we know when a cheese has been made well and with great care. You know, not even really, we're just enjoying it, I suppose, and uh, yeah, appreciating it. Yes,
2: absolutely. And I think that the joy of having a raw cheese as well unpasteurized milk which is what a breedamo has to be unpasteurized you're getting everything as well you're not losing anything all the bacterias are there right from the very start and all through the process and you know in that cheese is, is a, um, as you say or as i say a, a lot of the time the time that it, it was made you know the, the time that it was made so you're getting you're getting that sense of a Christian
1: uh, uh, time, time isn't it yeah yeah yeah. yeah wonderful yeah trisha that was glorious thank you so much
0: online on smart speakers and on listen again this is food fm savor the crunch of peter's yard sourdough crackers available at waitrose sainsbury's Ocado, amazon petersyard.com and specialist food retailers
1: johnny welcome to a slice of cheese it's really lovely to have you with us um tell me your story of how you know you were a dairy farmer what what made you go into making your own cheese
3: um well I probably have to go back a little bit because first of all uh, it, it, it was originally the 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 frustration and getting worn down from the dairy industry at the time this is talking the late sort of 2000s um and I was a bit disillusioned with it all with milk prices being cut and farmers going out of business and I would just started looking for uh like another project um on the farm because I I just sort of lost the love of the of what I was doing I've been a farmer all my life um I've literally been since I was a little child four years old I would let cows into a milking parlor for my father to milk and so I've been been there forever um but um yeah I got to this stage in life and I just got a bit disappointed with it all I me and my wife Dulcie, we sort of went out on this um sort of uh we looked into free range hen farming and um because it seemed like free range hens were sort of on the op and that sounded like quite a fun project to do, having all these eggs everywhere. Um <laughs> and um and it was it was through the seeing the the free range hen farmer having his little shed at the side of the road selling fresh eggs like literally like the eggs would come from the chickens and he would sell them on the day and the net tomorrow we put some new eggs in and people were responding to that. They kept coming, you know, the, we were, we noticed while we were there in his yard, how many people kept coming up the drive and, and, uh, and buying eggs. And and we just sort of like, I, I went home and I thought, actually, do I really want to do free range hens? Like, why don't I just like sell our milk direct? Like the egg farmer was doing. And, and that's what we did and that's what sort of started the whole thing of where we've come to to now was we started to sell raw milk uh, because it had a difference it was different to pasteurized milk in a shop it, 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 it was much it had much more flavor and people were coming and people started coming to the farm because it tasted good and they wanted to support uh, their local dairy farm and and it just grew and grew and more publicity and more people started discovering us and and then i just thought well you know we're not going to be able to conquer the world just selling a few bottles of milk in 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 our little shed um near the side of the road it was a shed painted like a cow black and white to sort (laughs) of like catch people as they drove past lure people in but um it was it was it was just the, the the idea of like what can we do next and cheese seemed to be the obvious thing because you you put all of your milk into making cheese uh, you know you're not separating it or breaking it up and and uh, so and potentially if if we made a good cheese we might be able to sell it you know in farmers markets locally and might be able to sell it to a few shops and um, and that's sort of what sent us out on our, our I suppose our cheese adventure that was the first thing we did <laughs>
1: And what? So, did you have an idea of what cheese you wanted to make, or did you go and try and, you know, do you do some research and then get given some thought, you know, given some inspiration?
3: Yeah, I, I didn't know. You know, at the beginning, we didn't know what cheese to make. We, we me and Dulcy, my wife, we, we love blue cheese, and we thought, well, let's try and make blue cheese because we really like that. Um, <laughs> but that was all what we, we had in our mind at the time. But we visited. Uh, we literally just put on the internet uh, in 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 the search engine. Um, you know, great cheese, great UK cheese. And and all of these companies popped up and we looked at companies which were similar to us in a similar position, except for the fact they made cheese and we didn't. And we went and visited a lot of those people. So likes of Lincolnshire Poacher, uh, uh, Coat Hill, um, Stinking Bishop, on they go, um, and uh, Stitchleton. Um, and, um, and we... We 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 started to see this sort of like uh, I don't know there was so many things it was like happy farmers was the first noticeable thing friendly happy farmers and they were and they were they were all they were all um, you know they were all making this great product on their farm and and it looked like something that we could do it was very you know we we had the cows we had the mm. farm everything could happen so so we. We, as we sort of started to learn more about the cheese industry, we we learned about Neals Yard Dairy in London. A lot of the people we met sold to Neals Yard, and they said you should pop down and see those guys, and you know, and talk to them about like, uh, making cheese, and that's that's what we did. We we went to see uh, Bronwyn Percival, um, a cheese buyer at Neals Yard, and uh, we we walked around the arches where all the cheeses were maturing, and and um, and what was really noticeable it was. All of these great British Isles cheeses, and there was in the middle of them all this large brie de mot from France um, mm-hmm. and and you know and it was literally just looking at the the odd one out and say, saying to ourselves, "Well, we'd better make that one then." <laughs> and and so yeah that's, that's what we then focused on.
1: And it's not easy to make a Brie de Mo, is it? I mean, which probably, which <laughs> perhaps that's something you discovered, Johnny. Um so tell us about your, so you know, not that simple to make cheese. How did you learn? You know, how did you set about trying to learn how to make cheese?
3: Well, well, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it it just looked like another cheese when we when we um you know we embarked on this mission to make the like a, a British equivalent of Brie de Mo, but we realised as we started to get into it actually there's a reason nobody's making this cheese in the uk (laughs) it is really challenging there's so many areas of it which you have to get you know there's so many sort of uh like there's so much detail in the cheese and Mm. um uh, and how do you how do you make this cheese there really isn't a lot of help in you know around us in the uk to to make a french brie um so so the obvious thing you know we we were we happened to Get, getting these, the, the, this name, Ivan Larcher, a French cheesemaker, who had been doing a little bit of consultancy work for cheesemakers in the UK. And we contacted him and said, you know, we're really interested in making a, a Brie de Mose style cheese and um, would would you be interested in helping us? And he said, I, he said yes, I would. He said, but uh, under one condition. He said, you have to have good milk. And, I, and he said, what breed of cow do you have? And I said, uh, well, we have Holstein cows. And he said, uh, this is not going to work. <laughs> um, uh, so what, what, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there's great Holstein milk out there, but the the sort of the average Holstein cow, the milk is, you know, the cow has been bred over the years to, to produce lots of milk uh, for drinking, but not for cheesemaking. Yeah. He, he, said if, he said, you'll make okay cheese. He said, but if you really want to make cheese as good as brie de you've got to do you know it's it's not just like getting some milk and adding a few cultures and whacking it into a cheese mold there's much more to it than that there's the there's so much detail in really getting good cheese and um and he said you, you've got to get every part of the process right and and one of the actual crucial parts is is the milk the milk the che- the cow what the milk comes from and mm. um so he suggested Um, these breeds of cow they they were both French the ones he suggested not surprisingly Um, (laughs) there was the um, the the Normandy and the Montbelliard and we we researched both breeds and we just we thought the Montbelliard seemed more the cow what was right for us so uh, you know bit by bit I started to find out how do I buy French cows and you know, who's the person to talk to. And eventually, um, you know, the beauty of the internet, I, I've managed to find the right person who, um, a a French cattle Montbelliard cattle dealer. And, uh, we met him in Geneva airport in Switzerland, um, hopped over the border into France and then, uh, literally just spent three days solid visiting all of these small farms who their milk went into Comte cheese and, uh, Mm. and, uh, and all of these amazing french cheeses and um and we literally brought two two full lorries of cows back from france uh from the french Dura region and do you speak um, french johnny God, i wish i did I, I'm, I'm really rubbish <laughs> unfortunately L- lucky that's for very me that's adventurous the french, yeah yeah it was um yeah lucky for me the frenchman did speak english but the french farmers were as bad as speaking English as I was French so we were <laughs> all, all I could see was the some of the French farmers sort of looking sort of like puzzled why on earth this like English guy was here. Um, this
1: mad Englishman yeah.
3: So uh, so yeah we, we got these cows back and bit by bit we started to you know all of these things come together we built a, a, we designed a cheese making building um, specifically for Brie de style cheese Uh, we we located it like learning from these other farmers around the UK who made cheese we located it close to the cheese to the to the milking parlour so Mm -hmm. um, to get the best cheese you want to have the freshest milk so you don't want to have milk which is sort of hanging around for several days it needs to come direct from the cow's tea as close as you can into the cheese making vats Um, so you're not damaging it and you're not letting like um bad bacteria start growing in it spoilage bacterias all of those sort of things trying to reduce so the, the location of the building was crucial in in the, the the way the milk fell from the parlor into the cheese building was crucial so we don't use pumps um mm. again like the cultures which you use for the for the for the brie you, you know you can buy brie making cultures in the uk but the ones what the the real sort of like you know the premier breed makers in france use uh are not those same cultures so you, you know we were we were fortunate with Ivan that we, we 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 were able to find all of this stuff um you know and proper breed making equipment like uh the pellebri, the ladle which you you use to to ladle thin slices of curd into vats. you know all of this um you know, from the word go, we we got right.
1: Gosh, that's, I mean, isn't that fascinating that it's such a complex thing? And uh, and as I say, luckily you have that that guidance. But it sounds like you sort of love the whole learning. You know, you sound like someone to me johnny you always sound like someone who who loves the sort of learning and the the challenge you're not afraid of a challenge are you
3: yeah no uh, yeah i do i love challenges i some sometimes uh, maybe i chat too many of them really but um I, I i at the time i remember just reading book after book and uh you know understanding the cheese industry and i just absolutely fell in love with it and i you know it was sort of like a missing part of my life almost and um and uh yeah and 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 i was just i i just couldn't rest until we we like we were I, it really annoyed me when we made inconsistent cheese and <laughs> and it wasn't as good as the french stuff and it just really bugged me and i thought i'm you know i do not want to like end up being an okay cheese i need to keep pushing on and and yet you know get, even getting all of the right equipment in the in the early days and the right cows and all of that stuff, which was right, we still made inconsistent cheese, but we didn't know why. Why? Well, it's you know, not and,
1: easy. Yeah, I mean, like, there is a, yeah. Every cheesemaker I talk to, no, no, no it's never a, a cinch, is it? It's uh, no. you've got milk that changes every day, haven't you? And so many factors, I think. That so many variables. Is, is, yeah. that, is that your experience of it? Yeah.
3: A- absolutely. You've, you know, you, when you're dealing with one herd of cows, the the great thing about a herd of cows is you get uniqueness to the cheese from the area it came from. Um, you know, only from that one herd of cows. But the downside is the cows, as they carve through the seasons and as the seasons change, the milk changes. And, uh, and you know, the milk fluctuates up and down in fats and proteins and, you know, fresh carved milk to late lactation milk all the time. And you, you're constantly, you know, moving the, the cheese-making levers. It's, you know, they're mm. not real levers, but, you know, you're yeah, you're, you're, yeah. you're changing the way just small changes throughout the year little but,
1: tweaks yeah
3: yeah but at the, at the early days we just didn't know this stuff there was only so much your brain could absorb in in understanding how to make cheese in the early days you, you know adding rennet cutting curd ladling, you know that's reasonably straightforward but where it gets really complex is the firmness of the curd and the the right quantity of moisture released and uh, you know crucial temperatures at you know at certain times and all of this stuff it it, it's just it takes years to was there a
1: moment when you felt really that you'd made one of your cheeses and you felt like yes this is i've really i mean can you remember that you know was there sort of moment of triumph after all this hard work that you put into it i think it's just been
3: certainly there was like even from the very early days you made some great cheeses but then they followed by really sort of quite dry cheeses and and then really two wet cheeses, and 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 then you'd come round again to a real sweet spot. But you'd look at the, hmm. you'd look at all your numbers, and you you'd look at them, and you look at the bad ones, you look at the good ones, and they all look the same. All of the results, all of the pHs, they all look the same. So why is this cheese different? But there's so much more to it, and 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 it's just gradually, just so much depth, a time spent on, on 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 tasting the cheese, and and you know, questioning it um, over the years and we've just gradually those inconsistencies throughout each year, we've gradually we've just picked at them one at a time and, and conquered them. Uh, That's
1: interesting. It's fascinating. And so tell me about the name, because obviously you, you couldn't call it Breedamo and I'm guessing you wouldn't have wanted to call it that anyway, but um, so what, tell me about the name you came up with, Johnny, for your cheese.
3: Well, the cheese obviously is called Baron by God. Um, the name um, I mean, we didn't want to call it something with the word Brie in it. Um, like it just, you know, it's not, it's not like Brie comes from France. Like, so why do you call your cheese Brie if it's not from France? It, you know, it, the, the name of is generally represent an area or something about, you know, some person or figure or something about the area of which it came from. And, uh, and we looked at the, you know, Bungie and the, the town the market town bungy where our farmers on the edge of and um one of the one of the sort of the, the things about the name Baron by Bar is it's the connection to france uh, there's many things actually first of all the Baron. it sounds a bit like a brie uh, like a, a cheese doesn't it like you've got yes. the cheese banon uh, from yeah. france um and it kind of sounds like a cheesy word um you got Bygod, um, Baron Bygod is one of the barons, the, 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 the lords, the noblemen who came over with William I in 1066. So uh, as William conquered um, England, um, a lot of his um, cronies, I suppose you'd call them his, his <laughs> barons, would, would go into, he put them in different parts of England where um, they would um, sort of govern for him. And, mm-hmm. uh, and one of those was Bygod. So he, he, he sort of looked after the East Anglia area. And um, and Bygod is actually his son, Hugh Bygod, who built the castle at Bungie, which overlooks our, our, our marshes. And um, we like the idea that he came from Normandy. Normandy is famous for bloomy rind cheeses. I know it's not brie, but it's, you know, it's got the connection there. Um, and uh, and and you've got all the words B barren bygod, brie. It's Gage. a great it's, name, yeah. <laughs> kind of why we yeah. called it. Um, so it's uh, it's got its own identity.
1: That's lovely. Am I? I mean, this whole story, Johnny, of you um, bringing back Montbéliard. that also inspired a plot on a rather famous radio drama. You know, the oldest running soap opera on radio in the world. Is that right?
3: Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, this is the Archers. So, uh, what a strange day when the. Um, the of the archers phones you up and say uh, well we've got this story coming out like I can't I, I must admit I don't watch the archers so I've forgotten the names now but one of the families uh they're, they're going to get you see their cows they're not doing so well and they're going to start making cheese and well they're you know they're, they want to go and get some really good cows like Montbelliards and so uh you know so literally the script writer was asking me questions of where do where do they buy Montbelliards from and who you know, literally like it was a real person. Um, it was so, so much like it, it felt like it was a real person that at the end of the conversation, I said, I hope they're not making a brie, are they? And, <laughs> and, um, and uh, but no, fortunately it was a blue. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I think that, you know, some of the, you know, I know that they did ask a few more cheesemakers as well, but, um, but yeah, I think the, the, the story of the Montbelliard from France certainly um, had to be, from our our story
1: yeah brilliant i mean that's sort of a wonderful example of of life and art isn't it <laughs> so so tell us what we haven't discussed yet which i really want to talk about is so tell me about Baron Bygod. what what is it you know and, and you know like a lovely and i know it varies seasonally so for you what, what what's its describe it to me as though i've never eaten it what would what would you say about it
3: um well it, it's a it, it's a sort of quite a thin cheese it's 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 covered in the, the white mold which is penicillium candidum um but mm-hmm. to, so this is sort of the geeky stuff here but you've also <laughs> got the um the, the other the sort of yeast mold which grows on the on the surface of the cheese which is called geotrichum and and that's one of the differences between you know what you'd sort of think of a, a supermarket brie that's sort of really thick white rind whereas ours doesn't have that it's got this balance of geotrichum and penicillium and, and
1: Geotrichum is quite hard to grow, isn't it? As a, it's one of the more. Is the Penicilliums more dominant? Is that right?
3: It it, it is. Yeah. It, it's um. It's easy to grow PC Penicillium on on the rind of the cheese. Mm-hmm. Where it's diff. Where it's the difficult bit is just getting the balance of the Geotrichum and the Penicillium. The balance of the two is quite hard because Penicillium likes saltier, drier conditions. The Geotrichum likes wet. Uh, wet and less salt conditions. Mm. So to get the balance of the two, you could get too much of one and too much of the other. So it's a fine line, just getting the balance of the two, which then brings out this, this lovely flavor of, um, sort of, I, I, I guess sort of like slightly meaty, but, uh, like, um, I, I don't know, sort of acidy, uh, gentle. Um, it, it the, the cheese tastes quite creamy, but it's not like it's got extra cream in it at all. Mm. Um, but it, it's it, a lovely
1: it's got... texture as well. I mean, actually, thank goodness I've actually got some in my fridge because <laughs> after talking to you, I'm going to want to go eat it. But it's got a very, um, and the piece I've got is is sort of very um, voluptuous. Actually, it's sort of you know, it's 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 on the easy side, which I really like.
3: Uh, and, and it's uh, that, that's the, the the interesting thing about brie is about when do you eat it because the cheese changed so so much over the over the weeks it's made. So when you when you buy a very young baron baron bygod it would be um, quite chalky in the middle and a little line of sort of gooiness round the outside of the chalkiness just below the rind, but as the weeks go by, if you don't cut the cheese, the cheese will mature in your fridge. So mm. gradually the mould breaks down the 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 curd and c- creates this um, broken down sort of gooiness, uh, which you would probably see in most most of the barren bygones what you would eat and eventually the 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 curdy bit disappears altogether. it just oozes out everywhere um (laughs) but 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 i think it's if you can get balance of just having like a a a sort of thickness of a pencil of curd in the middle and then the gooeyness uh the gooey bit under the rind um then that's the that for me is the sort of perfect the the sweet spot of the cheese but you, you you also get the sort of lemony sort of acidy core to the to the cheese um and and the core actually it develops on its own in flavor you've got so much things going on here because as if if the cheese never broke broke down at all you you would still have the 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 curd would change flavor on its own as time goes by Mm. um so if you eat the cheese around 50 60 days you get this really sort of lovely like i say sort of different flavours of sort of like the rind mushroomy sort of um you know peppery sort of mushroomy flavour and then the gooiness of sort of more meaty um I don't know um yeah uh, sort of creamy flavours and then then into the centre which is still sort of acidy
1: I was wondering if there were you know restaurants that you felt very proud of you know that uh I imagine lots of local chefs are really thrilled to have, you know, a great cheese to put on their menu. Did you get that lovely response? Was there? In fact, that's the, the question I'm going to ask you: Is what was the response to your cheese? What, you know, what did you? What was the feedback that you you got when you started making it? And
3: yeah, I mean, it, it it's it's always gone down great in re- restaurants. It just seems to really, I mean, what we get from feedback from chefs is, you know, they notice when you it goes on a cheese board in a restaurant, it never comes back. It never, it goes out to the, on the cheese board, but it never, it never, any of it comes back again. So it always gets eaten. So um, it's popular in restaurants. So I think people, you know, when you're out for a meal, you, you want special stuff, don't you? And and when you see a bit of our cheese sort of oozing out on the plate, you know, you can't help but just want to like, like put the knife in and cut a piece off. So uh, it, it it's, it's, it's interesting over the years, you know, sort of, you Know early days, it was more local restaurants what would support us, and really sort of got to the point where you know it was on Mitchell and Star restaurants, and you know, it even featured on the finals of MasterChef. So, um,
1: that's wonderful, you know. isn't it?
3: I yeah, mean, that must be
1: very you know, isn't it interesting that you were you know, you were in a tough place with dairy, you were very disillusioned, and you, yet you and I listened to you talk about your cheese journey, and you sound so Buoyant, you know, and sort of excited by what you've done, and you know, it sounds like that was a wonderful decision that you made.
3: Yeah, it, it, I, i without a doubt, I'm so pleased we did go down the route of cheese, and you know, and uh, you know, back then because it's, it, it's, um, over the years, it's just you know, our business has been able to grow, and we've been able to em- employ, um, you know, lots of people locally, um, and for me, it's like you know i feel very proud of uh you know starting off making the first cheese and um you know and scrubbing away cleaning cheese molds and to the point where we've now got a whole team of people um you know making it and making really good cheese as well um and it's real satisfaction seeing seeing our team you know people how how um how they enjoy you know the farm and 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 and, you know, getting, the, getting the, the, the stories come through of the cheese being on MasterChef or, you know, on TV or whatever radio, you mm-hmm. know, it's, we're all really proud that we're all playing a part in making something which people enjoy.
1: That's wonderful. Thank you, Johnny. That was perfect.
0: To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.
1: Thank you so much for listening to A Slice of Cheese. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, it would be lovely if you could rate us on wherever you've found this podcast. It would make such a difference to us. So I hope you'll enjoy us again. Thank you very much.